You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we are watching every episode of Malcolm in the Middle one by one in chronological order and talking about them. Today, we are talking about Convention, which originally aired November 22nd, 2000, was directed by Jeff Melman and written by Bob Stevens. I'm Jake, and I have primal urges. Primal podcast urges. And I'm David, and don't trivialize my anger. I like that we both chose that scene for our line. <laughs> so, uh, to start things off with the cold open. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> really sets a tone for the episode. It sure does. Starts, uh, we first see Dewey sitting on the swing set with a stick. Then it pans over to Reese and Malcolm. Reese also has a stick. They're sitting on, like, a little picnic table. And... Reese asks if Dewey has a bigger stick than he does, uh, and then sort of starts to spiral out, because everything in his life is subpar and bad, and he never gets the best stuff. It's all because he has a tiny stick. Uh, Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yep. Then Malcolm, hearing Reese's complaints, gets up and walks over to Dewey, takes the stick out of his hand, and snaps it in half, causing Dewey to cry. And Malcolm turns to camera and says, sometimes things just work out. Like a monster. God, Malcolm. Which plot line do you want to start with, David? I say probably the H plot. K. Which I have labeled as the A plot, because the title is Convention. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, right, but I just called it the H plot, because it's a secondary plot, kind of, and it's, you know, Hal. And Lois. Yeah, but it's the Hal plot. It's the H plot. No. No. Yep. What is it? I will let you have an H-plot when we have an episode where Hal has a plot line that's completely his own. None of the other characters are there. Uh Uh-huh. It's just Hal, like Francis routinely has. No, that's not how that works. No, that's how it works. No, because we call Francis-centric plots the F-plot even when there are other people besides Francis there. Mm, we've We've done that once. We do that. And... Precedent exists. Legal precedent exists, and I am appealing to the court's consistency. (laughs) The F-plot existed before we made this determination because Francis so frequently had his own separate plot line that later we added an addendum to that specific law. Uh That doesn't mean that it's a universal law. It's a specific case. It's Uh a case-by-case scenario. Uh Uh-huh. And I am arguing not of the origin of the law, but the spirit of the logic. I can do this all damn day. You do not want to do this with me. (laughs) Okay, so the A-plot centers around Lois and uh, Hal. Correct. The H-plot. Begins, uh, technically it begins at home with Lois telling the boys they're going to have a babysitter and establishing that she and Hal are going to be going to a convention for Hal's work, uh, which we still don't really find out what is. (laughs) It's something in tech. Presumably. No, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I have a point of contention with that. It is currently something in tech. And no, I'm not basing it off the convention like you think I am. Okay. I'm, ta- I'm basing it off of the conversations that they have and the work story gotcha. is told. Well, a- after the babysitter conversation, it, it does pretty much lead into that conversation. Because the next time we come to this plotline, it is Lois and Hal in the car on the way to the convention. And Hal is talking about his rivalry 
Well, to be fair, Lois brings it up first. Uh, well, no. Lois brings up that she hopes uh, Tom and Barb are going to be there because they're fun. And That's then, right. And then Hal says he, he just knows that uh, Keneally is going to be there. Oh, that's right. I thought she brought it up. Nope, it's definitely Hal, but he does insist that he's not obsessed with him. I mean, he's not. (laughs) He immediately goes into a story about a parking spot. I mean, (laughs) after talking about, you know, his beady eyes. Yes. (laughs) Essentially, Keneally stole an idea that Hal had that was going to save their company a ton of money. Well, no. I mean, maybe. No, he specifically says it was going to save them money. Right, but the big thing is it increases productivity or efficiency by 4%. Yes. Also, given the uh, model numbers that he rattles off there that are probably totally bullshit and made up, it sounds like a printer. It matches modern printer numbers so well. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Is that why you're saying it's a tech? he's in like tech? That's part of it. Okay, so I I had the same thought that it sounded like a printer thing, but to me, my interpretation wasn't like they're in a company that makes printers. It was like Hal found a more efficient printer for the office to use than they had and calculated out specifically how much it would save if company-wide they switched to this other printer. And then this other guy made that suggestion, that son of a bitch. I I feel like (sighs) Hal is in like very generic office. By the way, Jake, that is the most business thing I think I've ever heard you say. It's such a thing. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, no, you don't, but it is. You've never been in a meeting where we're discussing something like that. I have. I kind of have. Because I, I used to have to go to meetings for, uh, because I was associated with a student club in college. I was the president of a student club. I had to go to weird, like, half like, student issue, like, half-staff issue meetings, and the staff side, it was always very that kind of thing. So I've heard a lot of that, even though I haven't had to personally interact with that stuff. Yeah, every Monday at 11. Yeah, that's my life. But I only had to do it, like, twice a semester. (laughs) And even that was so mind-numbingly boring. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And you're right, so maybe Hal's not. But it feels like, I don't know, to have it be, like, that personalized i don't know maybe but he could be but I, I i mostly just like the idea of hal being an like ambiguous i feel like hal probably doesn't even know what his company actually does that seems likely <laughs> i feel like hal even if he was in a tech company doesn't know he's in a tech company okay like yeah. he's just a guy whose whole job is like office supplies <laughs> Yeah. Uh, It may also just be an issue of, I want to, in my mind, be like, yeah, Hal works for Dunder Mifflin, obviously. (laughs) You do draw a lot of parallels between this show and The Office. Yeah. I feel like it probably influenced The Office. Uh, Yeah, definitely. And there's also a lot of the writers and directors from this show worked on The Office down the line. That makes sense. Like, uh... No, not, not this episode. This episode of Jeff Melman who's mostly known for directing, like, most of the first season of Fresh Prince. It was, like, uh, his big thing. But, I mean, uh, that was a great show. It was. Uh, Ken Quapis is the big one that we've had so far that has directed a bunch of episodes of this show that also went on to direct, like, a bunch of The Office. I gotcha. But back to our summary. We next see Lois and Hal arriving at the convention, which is where I was initially assuming you were trying to say that Hal was uh, intact because some of the logos for like the booths at this convention are like very like techy but some of them are not <laughs> yeah 
Although, given the time frame, and we'll talk about that more later, maybe that still fits. Maybe. It's still maybe a tech convention, even with the thing that I know you're talking about. Oh, and 100% could be. But again, it's not enough to, like, firmly establish this is definitely a tech business. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it is weird because, like, one of the first signs and booths you see is, like, increased killing range or something like that. Yeah. It's like a laser beam, which I still don't know what the fuck it's supposed to be a booth for, but I love it. it like, all of the booths are like that. Yes. There's one booth that just says computers. Yep. <laughs> which, I mean, for 2000, yeah, okay, fair. Yeah, I guess. But it's, I feel like it would still be a little bit more specific than that. It would be like gateway computers, which would have been an instant timestamp for me. Right? God, gateway. Even God. though they technically still exist. Do they really? Yeah. That's funny. I'm big into PCs. I haven't heard gateway in, God, decades. I know they still exist because like a month ago on Twitter, I saw someone make a post that they just saw one like in a store and were like, what the fuck? This still happens? <laughs> <laughs> this company still exists? Oh, that's funny. But they immediately meet up with uh, Tom and Barb, the couple that Lois was hoping would be there because they're so much fun. Yeah. Barb already has a drink in her hand, which will very quickly become a plot point. And Hal, uh, at Lois's prompting, goes over to, uh, I keep forgetting Keneally. To talk to Keneally. Uh, and he, like, taps on his shoulder, and Keneally, like, turns to look at him after talking to a couple other people. And, like, as soon as they make eye contact, they both just immediately start fighting. <laughs> Yeah, and in very, like, high school, junior high, grab each other and slap fight while holding each other. MMA after two five-minute rounds, laying on top of each other, brawling. Yes. It is the most in ineffective fight I've ever seen, which also gets addressed shortly. It does. <laughs> Lois is sort of confiding in Barb, saying she's never seen how like this. Uh, at least not with witnesses. Yeah, she lists the whole thing. Like, it, it, like, she says, I've never, he doesn't normally act like this in public or with witnesses. Yeah. There's a third one, but yeah. No, I, I think it's just that. Maybe. Uh, then, uh, Barb says, uh, she, she's heard that, uh, men are animals, but, uh, she, she wishes her husband was, and she finishes her drink and <laughs> Lois asks, are you already drunk? She's not wasting time, Jake. She's got to be back with the kids in 24 hours. Yep. Then as Lois goes over to break up the fight, she has a really disturbing line about how you can trick male strippers into auditioning and you don't even have to pay them. Because they're not that smart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an episode for that. Then we come back to them... I oh, actually skipped slightly ahead, because the, the stripper comment comes the second time ah, yes. uh, they fight, is they uh, see Keneally at the bar, and Hal goes over to apologize to him for their earlier fight, and we don't actually see that fight, because the camera just stays on uh, Tom and Barb, and initially Lois, and they, they have their little conversation. You see the start of it. Yeah. Because Hal is talking to Tom. And Lois and Barb are talking. And then Hal says he doesn't know what came over him and all that stuff and very apologetic and blah, 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 blah. I better go apologize to Keneally. And then immediately gets into a fight again upon talking to Keneally. And then you get the 
Q, Barb, and Lois walking behind Tom and Hal, and they get that comment, and then Lois sees them fighting, pulls off her heel, and goes in to presumably break up the fight. Uh, then Barb tells Tom to do something about it, and Tom's response is to go refill her drink. Sounds about right. Then, the next time we come back to them, they are at dinner with Tom and Barb. Lois is trying to get Barb to pay for dinner because they paid for parking, which continues the the disturbing, clearly on-the-rocks relationship between Tom and Barb. uh, Barb asks if Lois is trying to take advantage of her because she's drunk, to which Lois says, yes. She's very honest, I like it. Yeah. And then Barb says she wishes Tom would try to do that. And then proceeds to sip on her alcoholic beverage while glaring at Tom. Yes. And Hal is sitting there. uh, It's noteworthy. He has a, like, wad of toilet paper rolled up in his nose from his earlier fights. And Tom is praising Hal for being brave enough to fight with this guy. And he wishes he could do that. He would never be able to do that. Then we come back to the dinner after after leaving it again. <laughs> and Tom, Barbara, and Lois are all at the table talking still. <laughs> they realize Hal is missing. And as soon as Lois says, where is Hal? In the background behind them, you see Hal and Keneally come in from out of frame, once again fighting. <laughs> and just making havoc and wreaking havoc through the, through the restaurant. Yes, and uh, this time Lois sprays them both with a hose as they're rolling around on the ground. Well, yeah, she had a Rottweiler like this. Which they both pause and, like, look at her in shock and then immediately go back to fighting. <laughs> then when we come back, the fight has been broken up. Oh, it looks like wait staff. Yes, oh. there, are, there are two waiters holding back Hal, and I can't see who's holding back Keneally. It looks like one's a waiter and one's just, like, a bystander because I didn't see the, like, telltale vest that the other guys had but i could be wrong yeah i wasn't really paying that close of attention but yeah Uh, they're both being held back by two other guys and uh lois is between them trying to establish peace which is where hal starts going on his little rant about how he has a primal rage that's right (laughs) he has a primal urge (laughs) you don't mess with this kind of anger he has a legitimate situation here right don't trivialize my anger Lois. Uh, <laughs> i love that line that cracked me up uh, and lois like digs on them a little bit making a comment about how they're both middle-aged men who, who are too out of shape and ineffective to do any real damage here <laughs> yeah she literally calls them out for not fighting well enough yeah <laughs> it's just like look you haven't solved it yet you're not going to she she very clearly calls out that this is impudent male rage. Yep. <laughs> uh, and she gives Hal an ultimatum. He can either stay here and uh, kill this guy, or they, they can go back to the hotel room and, and he can fulfill his primal urges with her. Which is where, again, the line of don't trivialize my anger comes from. <laughs> Because he's trying to convince her not to convince him, you know, to stop fighting with Keneally. Obviously, of course, like any good married man, it works. I mean, for obvious reasons. Yeah, so Hal chooses sex over violence. I mean, you assume that. Well, he does as they are walking past punch Keneally. Right. As they leave. Never mind. That's a creepy (laughs) sentence that I almost said. Listen, it's fitting with this episode. (laughs) I know. 
I, I legitimately don't know how much, if at all, this episode was, like, meant to be, like, a condemnation of, like, toxic masculinity stuff, but there sure is a lot of it here. Uh-huh. Well, I was gonna say, Jake, you said that he chose sex over violence. And yeah, I, was gonna say, I know. Those aren't always mutually exclusive. Yeah, and it feels like that was the intention, maybe, of the episode. Yeah. <sighs> this episode feels real weird and does not age well. No. This is this is the poster. I was gonna say it later, but this is the poster boy episode of this show for the slogan "Boys will be boys." A hundred percent. Yeah, like. And we are, we're only halfway through. Yeah, we're not even to the bad part yet. I know. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is the better plot line for that. Yeah. I- admittedly, with everything going on in the other plot line, I didn't even, like, it wasn't until I was, like, reevaluating the plot lines for awards that I was kind of like, ooh, how? Well, yeah, 100%. Because <laughs> uh, I always pre-watch the episode before so I can do, like, my outline and stuff without, right. you know, really paying attention to the details when we watch it together. And, like, when I watched that that first time for that, like, it didn't even register that Hal was tied up in all this stuff just because it's so much more egregious than the other plot line. It was only on rewatch that I was like, oh, Hal kind of sucks here, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh that, 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 that final punch as they pass is the end of the a plot so uh that leaves us with the other plot line is francis doesn't really have his own this time no nah, he's kind of tied into the b plot yeah so let's go there all right from the h plot to the b plot from the a plot to the b plot correct yeah David. h to b uh <laughs> So, uh, to, to sort of start off with a ground we've somewhat already covered, it uh, also starts with the conversation with Malcolm and Reese not wanting a babysitter, and Lois telling them that they need one. Uh, not even really telling them. Reese says, what, you don't trust us? And Lois just gives him a look, and, and Reese says, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> and while this is going on, Dewey is, like, completely disconnected from that. He has a piece of bread and the toaster and he's watching it toast and like halfway through it malfunctions it sort of like does like a half pop and makes a sizzling sound and then dewey grabs a fork and goes to fish the bread out of the toaster with lois grabbing it out of his hand at the last minute yes right as he's about to zap himself yep Lois says she does trust them, which is why they're going to have two hours all on their own before the babysitter gets there. Then Lois and Hal leave, and Malcolm turns to camera and says, uh, essentially (laughs) framing what's going to happen as Lois's fault as he says, we tried to convince her we don't need a babysitter, now some innocent person is going to have to suffer. And we get a montage of the boys setting up how they're going to torture their babysitter. Well, you have to be organized. We see Malcolm putting a mousetrap in a Kleenex box uh, with, like, a single tissue over it. Then we see Reese. I I couldn't tell. It's too blurry to tell exactly what it is he's putting in a shampoo bottle. It looks like... Is it ink? Yeah, it looks like an old school ink bottle. Yeah. The only reason I know that is because way back when my dad had one of those old school fountain pens that you actually had to dip in ink. Gotcha. It looks like quotation marks a modern ink bottle of the time uh but he he pours that into the shampoo bottle and then we see dewey pouring worms into a cereal bag well they aren't worms worms 
worms. Those are gummy worms. I are used they to, gummy worms? I, I used to. I, get I know those, they're not real worms, but I used to get those exact same candies. Okay, they're like really weird gummy worms, and they were designed to look like real earthworms. Used to be able to get them. Remember when Walmart's had those bins of candies and stuff that you could go and get? You don't remember this at all. We used no. to. Then they also had like the the rice crackers and the seaweed crackers and stuff and all that stuff, and they were in big white tubs, and you could scoop them out and fill bags of them. I, I mean, know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, like the penny yeah. candy stuff. I've seen that at other stores, but I never remember that being at Walmart. Yeah, we had it at Walmart here when we were young. Take your word for it. Yeah, fair. I mean, you were pretty young, so but. We used to get those gummy worms out of that because dad loved them. He thought they were the best gummy worms. Okay. So that's the only, I immediately recognized those and I was like, man, I miss those. Those I, are delicious. I, I just assumed they were like rubber, like worms and. Like, cause one of them specifically catches my eye as he's like putting it in. And I was like, man, I want some gummy worms now. Specifically, those gummy worms. Gross, dude. You're you're wrong. By the way, every snack food you described when you were trying to explain this to me sounded disgusting. <laughs> those are all garbage. There's also M and M's and yeah, the, and yeah, and all that. edible yeah. things. Yeah. Oh, I fucking hate. Listen, it. And, and I love like shitty like penny candy stuff. Give me a fucking butterscotch, delicious, great. Fucking gummy worms, get out of here with that. I don't know who hurt you. But I'm sorry. Uh, One day you'll be able to enjoy things. Yeah, good things. My garbage. I hate you. <laughs> but uh, back to the episode. The montage ends uh, with the final trap they're setting. They're putting some plastic wrap over their uh, cesspool, which has like a manhole cover on it that they've pulled aside. And then putting like a blanket and a book and stuff like it's a picnic area over that. Yes, with the hopes of obviously the person walking over the hole that's covered by the blanket and falling directly in. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then the boys are out in the front yard waiting for their babysitter, uh, which Reese is the last one to arrive because he had to put the lemonade in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, and a old woman very slowly drives by and, like, looks at them. It's like a gangster movie. It is. I love it. (laughs) It's that, like, drive-by stare-down that you see in, like, all gang movies. It's just this little old lady who can barely see over the window and the boys. And when she uh, drives past them, they think that maybe they scared the babysitter away. I mean, rational thought, <laughs> given their state of mind. Yeah, considering they, they're known for torturing their babysitters, except for B. Arthur, who potentially passed away while babysitting them, which probably just, like, adds to the very negative <laughs> impression the babysitting community has of them, despite that one not being their fault. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, B. Arthur only babysat Dewey. Other people may not know that. I mean, to be fair, if you were to be like, one of these three boys killed someone, I'd pick Reese. Yeah. (laughs) Or Malcolm. Yeah, I don't... See, I feel like Reese is more likely to kill someone, but way less likely to get away with killing someone than Malcolm. (laughs) Yeah, Malcolm Malcolm (laughs) is more on the, like, able to. Reese would definitely try. I feel like Reese is going to prison for attempted murder, while Malcolm was secretly a serial killer. Yeah, but the actual babysitter, Patty, shows up. She's riding her bike down the street with uh, sprinklers going off around her. Has a 
interesting entrance. Yes, as very late 90s, early 2000 R&B plays. Very Carmen Electra-ish slash mixed with Paris Hilton style entrance scene for her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought you were talking about the song playing when you, when you first started going oh, to that, no, and no. I was like, did Carmen Electra even make music? <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that later. But the boys are immediately smitten with her, and they run back inside to undo some of their traps. So we get a second montage of them removing some of the things they'd put in place. For uh, instance, a this was genius, and I'm upset that we never thought of it when we were younger. Malcolm pulls a firecracker out of a candle. Like, he, they cut out the wick and replaced it with a firecracker. Why did we never think of doing right. that? We had firecrackers and matches all the time. Mm -hmm. And there were always candles being lit in our house. Yeah. And if we didn't, how did my brother, who was a pyromaniac, how did he not think of that? It does seem like an oversight on our part. Right? I'm disappointed in us. I am too. Childhood us should be ashamed. Anyways, moving on. Uh, the other two things in this montage are uh, Reese opens the medicine cabinet and a bunch of marbles spill out. And then we just see Malcolm taking like a laundry basket full of snakes outside and releasing them. And it's real snakes. Oh, yeah. Which is awesome. It, it's one real snakes and two, you can definitely see it, it is Frankie Muniz actually releasing them. Yes. Which uh, surprised me. It's like, especially like the shot initially is like mostly like from the waist down. I was like, oh, that's probably not Frankie Muniz. But then, like, you actually see his face, like, actually touching the snakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely be talking about that as well. I love that whole scene. I, I kind of wish this episode had just been, like, them versus a, like, very, like, hard-ass, strict baby. So I, th I think that would have been a much better episode. I would have liked to see these traps in action. <laughs> Yes. And especially to like see, I would have loved to see, maybe not B. Arthur, because you don't repeat that gag again, but someone of like B. Arthur's level of class who just is unfazed as all of their quote traps like fail on them. I want that episode in place of what we got uh, because this does not age well. No. <laughs> no. Which uh, we then see uh, Patty offering to make snacks for the boys. Uh, she asks if they want popcorn or for her to make cookies, which Dewey says that Lois told them the oven doesn't work. I mean, Lois probably values her house, so good choice. Yeah. Then, uh, as she's going off to the, to the uh, kitchen to make these snacks, Francis calls. I mean, you missed what I find is, by the way, a disturbing and kind of important part about why this episode's so shitty. Because this is the first scene that establishes it. And then it's a thing that I don't know if you notice that she does every single time. Where the boys all are gawking and staring at her and Dewey says that line. And then she giggles, calls them all cute, and literally bounces out of the room. Yeah. Uh-huh. They, they go out of their way to make her like the teenage boy, like, imagined, like, sexy girl that doesn't at any point she she never feels like a real human who would exist in reality this feels more fan servicey than any anime i've ever seen yeah, it's it's pretty rough it's 
bad. It, it's also like that that issue of like the, to use the anime like the, just that being anime sets it like slightly out of reality. Seeing an actual human in this sort of very cartoony sexualized thing is really disturbing. It's weird. Yeah, and it keeps going. Yeah, for for, for anyone who doesn't like. When, the, when they hear people talking about male gaze within film and they don't quite understand what that means, watch this episode, because it's, like, the perfect example of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh. Yeah, Francis calls Malcolm. Uh, once again, <laughs> anytime Lois is gone, he's calling to ask Malcolm for favors. <laughs> yep. Uh, this time, he says, there's a couple hundred fake IDs behind the washer. <laughs> He wants Malcolm to move them to the garage. <laughs> Gotta relocate your contraband. Yeah. Uh, which, which makes it very clear he has, like, a racket-selling fake IDs. Yeah, yeah. When Malcolm tells him who their babysitter is, uh, Francis immediately recognizes the name, and when she comes back in the room, doesn't want to talk to her, tries to get out of it, but she takes the phone from Malcolm and uh, starts talking to Francis. Uh, asking if he remembers her from 8th grade algebra. And uh, Francis does. We get a flashback where we see middle school Francis with, like, very <laughs> bad long hair wearing a, a, like, leather jacket. He looks like a cross between Hillbilly Killer and Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, which is... That's mid-90s fashion. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Like, uh, I, I feel like as a culture, we choose to, like, remember, like, the Kurt Cobain grunge aesthetic as being the thing, but it really wasn't. It was the weird 50s throwback mixed with that that looked awful. <laughs> but he he's at his locker, and as he closes it, Patty's there waiting for him uh, in bad 2000s, very, like, Shallow Hal-esque prosthetics. <sighs> yep and she's like trying to talk to francis who very clearly doesn't give her the time of day then uh francis grabs one of his cadets and pretends like they need the phone so he has to go to get out of this conversation and hangs up and then uh patty uh, brings up that uh she, she really likes francis he was the only guy that was ever nice to her and we see another flashback in which Francis and his friends are very clearly talking about her, and Francis says, she's not that fat, guys. Which is apparently the nice thing that convinced her to like Francis. And she says, and he was so cute, too. Which Reese says, yeah, we're a lot alike. Reese is trying to find an angle, but clearly doesn't have any game. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's Malcolm and Reese's whole thing through this episode. They're, they're both trying to woo Patty and failing miserably. Look, I feel bad for Reese a little bit. He's got a rough life ahead of him. You can get away with no game and being a horrible person if you're brilliant. If you're dumb and a horrible person with no game, you're you're screwed. Yeah, I, I have more sympathy for Malcolm's struggling here, but I feel like it's more because him fucking up the, these conversations is so reminiscent of the exact way that I do. <laughs> Malcolm genuinely just, and Frankie Muniz plays it off so well, but he just seems like a kid who has social anxiety. Yes. Reese just seems like an idiot. Which I, I will say, like, as much as Malcolm sucks in this episode, like, Frankie Muniz's acting I noticed in this episode is very good. Yeah. 
It's a shame that I can never recommend this episode to anyone. Right? For any reason. <laughs> Frankie Muniz is a shitty actor. Yeah, well, this one episode... No, I'm not even gonna... Not even gonna win that argument by sending people to this episode. This episode is horrible. And a bad representation of what I think this show is. Yes. Like, it's, it's a show about shitty kids, but I don't like this particular brand of shitty for them. Well, and it's... It doesn't feel like the lesson is learned. Like, usually... Oh, absolutely not. Usually when they're this shitty, like... Either the point is, you know, like there's people that are this shitty and you shouldn't be them, or they learn some sort of like lesson about the consequences of being that shitty. Yeah. I just don't feel like there's, well, except for one character, there's no comeuppance. Yes. <laughs> it's going to play an important role in a certain award. It sure will. <laughs> we, uh, next see, speaking of Malcolm being shitty, it starts with Malcolm talking to Cabra as he says, uh, what do you do when you have a beautiful woman alone in your room? Then it, like, turns and we see he has called the other Krellboins over. To do also now gawk at Patty. Yeah. Even Stevie. Yeah. Stevie, man. Yeah. Stevie's a little creeper, by the way. They all are. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's not as bad as Lloyd, but, like... Yeah. Lloyd's line was really creepy. <laughs> Patty leaves the room after asking if they want anything, and Malcolm says, No, they're fine. Yes, the other Krellboins can't even talk. Right. So then she leaves the room, and the boys all proceed to talk about her. And Stevie says, you know, in his normal labored, trouble-breathing voice, tuck me in, which is just weird. <laughs> but then Lloyd asks, I wonder if she knows how to keep kosher. And he says it with, like, the weird eyebrow rate. Like, it's it's a child delivering an Andrew Dice Clay joke is the, the feeling of this. Yeah, which admittedly did make me laugh both times I watched it. Just because the delivery is so weird. It's awkward, and it's not natural. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what Dabney's line was. I don't remember what he said either. It was also dumb, but yeah. not nearly as dumb. <laughs> what did he say? Uh, it's all offensive. Yeah, I, I think his might have been the least, just because like, it didn't... It wasn't creepy enough to break through the general creepiness of the episode to be memorable to me. Right, and like, don't get me wrong... I've been around teenage uh, boys. I know what it is. Oh? Uh, he calls her a trophy baby. That's what it is, yeah. That's a little creepy. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's not great. But moving past any of that, like, all of this... Like, I've been around teenage boys. Like, I can see teenage boys saying all of this shit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It feels very authentic, which I think is part of why I have such an issue with this episode. Again, this is the poster boy for boys will be boys yeah like and and i get that at some point men do go through a period of transition and they have to learn how to interact with individuals and and there's a lot of awkward as well as a lot of thoughts and a lot of saying and doing dumb shit but there's a difference between it happening in real life and i think i could even let this episode go more if again there were some sort of comeuppance or sort of end to it that felt like there was a teachable moment of you shouldn't do this but it very much so leaves it with the feeling of just the 
boys will be boys. And while I find that statement to be a true statement, I don't like it being an excuse. Right. Yes, boys are going to do shitty things and have these urges and da 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 That doesn't mean you don't get consequences. Something can be natural and a part of growing up and a part of changing and a part of learning without being okay. And you should have a consequence for it. This is one of those things. You can't just excuse it away and be like, hey, you should objectify women. That's cool. And it's okay because you're a teenage boy. No, this is the time where you have to teach them either this is how we treat and think about women or they grow up to be Brock Turner. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, ah, this episode pisses me off because yes, I had conversations in my basement bedroom with my buddies growing up that very much so resemble and are exactly this episode but on the other hand i also had like you know my dad who was very much so instrumental in look no we respect people and pay attention you don't treat them shitty like that was the role models we had telling us you had to do these things right which i feel like is why we were able to grow and mature and adapt and know like oh yeah i shouldn't be a shithead right there isn't that in this episode anywhere. No, and it's... You can do, like, the coming of age, uh, recognizing, like, sort of the shittiness of, like, the, the boys of this age, but it needs to feel like the episode is aware. Like, like the creators of this thing are aware that this is a shitty thing. It doesn't really feel like this episode acknowledges that it, it doesn't feel like the tone of the episode is presenting it as this is a bad thing <laughs> it's it's almost condoning the behavior and the worst part is i don't necessarily think that the writers even thought about it which is worse i think in a way because it doesn't feel like that at all like even the start even the cold open is a dick joke yeah <laughs> it is a midlife crisis dick joke <sighs> Gonna, moving on with the episode. There's still lots more sexism for us to cover. There sure is. Uh, immediately, <laughs> because Reese comes into the room at that point, and it initially looks like he's going to have like a progressive view as he tells Malcolm he shouldn't have called his friends over here to ogle her like a piece of meat. And he continues uh. on to say, Our parents paid good money for her. She's ours. Uh. Yeah... Which is, like, that's, that's what I mean by, like, it doesn't feel like the episode wants to acknowledge that this is shitty, because, like, that that's the opportunity to do so, and it feels more like they're just sort of casually dismissing that and being like, nah, we don't care. Yeah, there's not even, like, a pause. It seems very dismissive of how shitty they are in this episode. Yeah, but... When Reese starts to, like, threaten them, Malcolm points out that with Patty here, uh, Reese won't actually hit them. Me. Crowboy say she's like Reese Kryptonite, and <laughs> Encourage Lloyd picks up a blanket off of the bed that has, like, a little stuffed animal attached to it, and says, is this Reese's blankie? And starts making fun of him. Reese says, suddenly it's like there's no such thing as tomorrow. <laughs> 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 then Lloyd, realizing his mistake, like, very uh, resigned, starts pulling out his wallet and starts apologizing because he only has singles to give Reese. <laughs> then next we see... Francis uh, talking about his past with Patty uh, with one of the other cadets 
uh, talking about sort of their situation where she very clearly had a crush on him, but he just wasn't attracted to her. And yeah, imagine how bad it feels having someone gross have a crush on you. Yeah. Is the exact line. Yeah. Fucking Francis. Uh, and like, as he's talking for comedic effect, uh, it's overlaid while he's talking about how unattractive she is with uh, her once again doing like the very peppy movement as she's like cleaning up with uh, Reese and Malcolm watching her creepily. Yeah, in short denim shorts. Yep. Then we see Malcolm in the bathroom, in the mirror, like fussing with his hair, trying to get it perfectly quaffed. More more stuff like this, I think, would have helped. More leaning into, like, the awkwardness of being that age as opposed to the creepiness. Right, trying to learn, like, how do I do my hair? Then we see the dinner that Patty has made them, which is like chicken and mashed potatoes and like a bunch of sides. It looked pretty good. It did did look really good. (laughs) Which the food on this show often doesn't, I think, intentionally. Yeah, yeah. It generally (laughs) looks like really shitty and run down. What it looks like is looking at actual human food that you eat. (laughs) It's like food very rarely actually looks as aesthetically pleasing as it does on TV shows. That depends on where you eat, Jake. Food that your mom makes at home. Okay, fair. Like, especially, like, not even thinking about, like, in real life so much as, like, when people take photos of their real food that they've made. Like, you, you have to, like, process through the, like, th- this isn't, like, the stage sprayed with stuff to make it look shiny and it's actually inedible. That we're used to, like, advertising and stuff. Yeah. Reese is also looking slightly more cleaned up than usual. <laughs> which Malcolm immediately asks what he's doing, which Reese throws back at him. They, like, sit across from each other. Adversarially. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, then Patty goes to serve the chicken to Malcolm, who's looking back and forth between the food and her cleavage. Yeah, there's an extended shot here of her leaning over for no reason. She asks Malcolm if he's hungry, and he says, I don't know what I am. Which... Uh, that that line didn't bother me as much as my, my, most of those. I actually wish they'd done more stuff like that. Sure, the the confused prepubescent angle that makes sense. Yeah, sure. But the the scene that precedes it doesn't lead to that assumption. If you're just in the moment with that scene, it's very much so. He's leaning towards. Oh no, I'm a different H word. Uh. See, I, I don't know. See, that, that's one moment where I, I think Frankie Muniz's acting actually sells, like, the... Because his face looks confused as shit? Yeah. 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 He well, might have been confused He, he legitimately... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one thing of, like, I, I agree, I think, like, from a structure, like, looking at the writing of the joke perspective, I agree. But, like, looking at the actual performed moment, it feels much more authentically, like... This is a kid experiencing puberty who legitimately doesn't understand the feelings he's having. Or the ones that he's being told to. Yeah, fair. And that's where I wonder, is this, like, legitimate or is this really just Frankie Muniz being a really good actor in this moment? Yeah, fair. Because either way, it's that part of it's great. Because he really does, he looks like a bewildered or confused kid. Yeah. But it's very clear, and he stares at that, and then down at the chicken, and then down at that. and Yeah. For no reason. Well, there's a reason, David. Ah, well. It's just not a good one. 
Fair. <laughs> then we, we get to the moment that I find relatable with Malcolm. <laughs> very clearly trying to impress Patty. He starts with the, so the other day in my gifted class. Not that I'm bragging about being in a gifted class. That's just what which, it's called. Well, what follows is what I relate to. Uh-huh. As he starts... <laughs> talking about how in his class they were talking about mad cow disease he starts going into detail (laughs) and he starts breaking down why they got mad cow disease and what causes it said it's relation to a cannibal tribe that ate human brains and the 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 part that really sells is like halfway through you see from his facial expression another great bit of acting for frankie muniz of the i've realized that i'm horrifying this girl and she is not into what i'm saying but i can't stop (laughs) i knew you were gonna relate to this jake has this thing it's called social anxiety He thinks he says complete sentences to people sometimes. And he says one-word answers. Uh, Like, two words come out of your mouth and you process, like, eight million. (laughs) Yes and no. There's two distinct, like social anxiety things for me there's the, the one you're used to which is i don't deal well with large groups of people right uh it's weirdly also an issue i have with like online stuff like headphones or like talking on a phone it, it gives me like the same thing of like when someone's right up next to my face talking to me which triggers it yeah fair uh, like extra bad but uh that that's why i just shut down and don't say shit yeah. the other when i'm say like on a date for instance uh where it's like oh one-on-one anxiety scenario is where I go into Malcolm mode where I'm just like, I'm expected to have a conversation with this person. (laughs) And sometimes it works out of like, I bring up a thing that interests me and start to rally about it. And they are also interested, in which case it, you know, my my anxiety sorts of starts starts to ease and I can be a human. (laughs) Or like what happens here, it becomes very obvious that like, this person is not into this thing that I'm saying. And in my brain, I'm like, this is not going well. I have to stop doing this. And I just don't. <laughs> I just keep talking about that thing. You have no idea how badly I now, in very Cougar Town style, want to be on a headset and earpiece listening to you go on a date and experience this. <laughs> Which makes me a shitty person, I'm aware. <laughs> but... Having grown up with you, I just want to experience this. Because, yeah, no, I don't ever experience that part. I've never seen you in that aspect. But when that uh, very obviously fails to impress Patty, Reese then takes his shot. She has a party <laughs> trick he wants to do for her. So he asks for her address, then her favorite color, and then he tries to burp like an introduction to her fitting all of that information in. And he gets through most of it. Yeah. Which is impressive. And then he starts gagging. And coughing. And yeah. And she just looks horrified. Then Dewey just directly says, I can do a dance. Do you want to see that? And she says, yes. I mean, they're all showing off their talents. It makes sense. Absolutely. Then Dewey does his dance, which is like a very simple, like just jumping back and forth from one foot to the other. (laughs) <laughs> while he sings a song, kind of. It's like beep, boop, boop. <laughs> yes. Almost like the Cantina song from Star Wars. Almost. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. A little bit. It's like if the Cantina song and Elmo's world were put together and then slowed down. Yeah, but Patty thinks it is adorable because it is. 
Well, yeah, it, it was cute. Yeah, Dewey's very cute in this episode, kinda. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to that, because I think we've interpreted Dewey slightly different. Maybe. Okay. But we then cut to Malcolm and Reese doing the dishes, uh, and they're very annoyed that they're doing the dishes, which they're clearly doing it because Patty told them to. And then they hear uh, laughter coming from the other room. Uh, Patty and Dewey are together. They go, uh, and in the boys' room, Dewey is playing catch with Patty. It's another questionable scene. Yeah... Which, uh, Patty, like, thro- throws the ball over Dewey's head and it goes behind Reese's bed. And she goes to crawl under the bed to get it. Which, of course, entails her sticking her butt straight up in the air. Which Malcolm and Reese are staring at. And Dewey sees them and walks over and closes the door in their face. The dialogue here is also a little... It's very porny. Yeah. Yep, not great. No. This this scene is awful. Yeah, this is probably the most egregious scene. Yes, because even they they even have Dewey look at her butt. Not really. No, he, they do. When he's on the bed, he looks down and over, and then he looks at them. Yeah, he he looks down, but like the, 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 he's not behind her. I, no, yeah. I'm choose. I'm willfully choosing to interpret Dewey as being too young to have any like. I tried to, Jake. There, there is there is one thing that I can't uh-huh. quite, quite do that uh-huh. with. Uh-huh. But I'm choosing. <laughs> Look, I agree. We all know, as you call my Dewey propaganda, Dewey is an angel, but he is corrupted by this episode, and that is why I... It's one of the reasons why I hate this episode. This is awful, and they even got to Dewey. It, legitimately, though, aside from, like, willfully trying to not besmirch Dewey with all of this shit. I I didn't get the impression of, like, Dewey was looking at her butt there. No. I I got the impression of, like, he was looking over at her. Yeah, but still, the point is, is the scene as a whole. Yeah, and and I mean, Malcolm and Reese, like, very openly and lecherously are. Because even, okay, even if he's not looking at her butt, it's still the, the, the porny dialogue and the, oh, I just gotta wiggle it in there and... Oh, yeah. Which is literally one of the lines, by the way. And the looking at her and then walking up and grinning at them and shutting the door. Like, they make this very obviously. Dewey knows what's going on, and I don't like that because... I, I'm, I'm with you. He should be too young to understand this, and it should just be the cute angle. Yeah. And then the other boys getting angry about it. But that's not what they do here. Yeah. My explanation for that is that Dewey isn't into this because it's like he, he's trying to get with her the way they are so much as he he recognizes that they want her and is taking joy out of taking that away from them. Right. For him, it's about the attention less than... Which which still isn't great. But regardless, it doesn't matter because they don't set that tone. We have to willfully make that interpretation and remember Dewey's age. True. Because if you just watch the episode for itself, that is absolutely not how it is set. And I hate that. Yeah. Alright, sorry. Go on. Well, next we see Dewey being taken out, like, with a towel wrapped around him out of the bath. Uh, which it's very clear Patty has, like, given him. Which he's way too old for that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Again, more problems here. And then, like, yeah, he's wrapped in the towel and is naked under the towel. And then the boys confront him because they're upset. They tell him to stop being so adorable. Right. He's so cute. I want to hug him, says Reese. (laughs) And then they make the card. Yes. uh, Or, well, they talk about making the card. Uh, Dewey had a supply set aside to make Patty a card. Glitter and glue and construction paper. Yes, which then uh, in an attempt to ruin his good name, Malcolm and Reese grab him and glue pieces of paper to him and cover him in glitter. So that when Patty comes in, he's made a huge mess and they say, that's just the way he is. He's a walking disaster. And then this is the, the one scene that even trying to willfully ride off Dewey, not in any way be- being sexualized. She says, I'm going to have to give you another bath. Then, like, picks him up and the, the, he smiles over her shoulder in a very creepy way. To his brothers the whole way. <sighs> yeah. Uh-huh. Ugh. It's very obvious that Dewey knows what's going on here. Yeah. Look, I understand running the bath for a kid that age. And then, like, maybe, like, checking on them or shoot. You don't give a kid that age a bath like that. Then we see Patty on the phone with Francis. They've been talking for the past 97 minutes. Francis has been keeping careful track while Patty has been losing time uh, talking to the boy that she likes. She's also wearing one of his shirts. Yes. Which... Uh, she tells him, and Francis gets, like, a disgusted look on his face. Then she, like, finally comes out and, like, in a straightforward manner says that she likes him. And, uh, she, she wants him to come over because her parents are gonna be gone uh, next time he comes to visit. And Francis tells her that he's not attracted to her. Then, uh, goes on to say that she may not believe that it's possible, but someday she will meet someone who finds her physically attractive. Ends the conversation that way, and hangs up the phone. The the last we see of Francis is one of the cadets telling him he had to do it. Adding to the whole not, not condemning shitty behavior through this episode. Yeah. And then also, it's hard when you know they're, you're, you're their only hope of happiness. Yeah. Fuck off, Francis. Fuck off. Yeah. Then, uh, as she is crying on the couch over what Francis said, Malcolm comes in uh, trying to get her to play electronic hockey with him. And uh, she leaves the room crying. And Malcolm goes to follow her and Reese stops him asking what he's doing. When Malcolm explains he's going to go find out what's wrong and try to make her feel better, Reese says, no, I'm going to follow her and make her feel better because he's a sensitive guy. And when Malcolm says, no, uh, you're stupid. And I think he calls him a thug. Something like that. Yeah, it's something like that. But I don't think he directly calls him a thug. Nah, it's something along those lines. Yeah. And he tells him he'll just make it worse, uh, which, of course, Reese uh, (laughs) says, no, I I can make her feel better and to prove it, he's going to beat Malcolm up. (laughs) Yep. In true Reese fashion. But they're interrupted as they hear Dewey singing his boop-de-boop song again. They look over to the living room uh, and see he, he is doing his dance again and Patty is laughing. Then... The next time we come back to this plot line, uh, the boys are in bed. Uh, Malcolm can't sleep because there's an attractive girl sleeping in the same house as him. (sighs) Reese is also awake. Then Dewey wakes up screaming, as we've seen in the past. 
And Patty comes in and he says he's had a nightmare. And she takes him to go sleep with her. Once again, like, he's doing crying noises, but he's, like, smiling over her shoulder as she picks him up and carries him away. Adding again credence to my theory that they wrote Dewey knowing what he's doing. This one came off as less creepy than the bath one. This one I was able to, like, do the mental gymnastics of, like, he's taunting the brothers. Even still, still creepy. Yeah, just less so. Man, I really want to sleep in the same bed as that hot chick. Nah, 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 I got to. It, it doesn't make it less creepy! But with this final act, Malcolm and Reese vow that they are going to destroy Dewey because he is adorableness is too much for them to overcome. Now that seems like logical, normal sibling rivalry to me. I do really like Reese's anger over how adorable Dewey is. Yeah, (laughs) that seems very real. Yes. But we then see Reese and Malcolm outside of one of the windows to Hal and Lois's room. It's like a patio door. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a glass door, not a window. Yeah. yeah. And they, like, tap on it until Dewey wakes up. And Malcolm is holding a stuffed animal, which Reese holds, like, a barbecue lighter uh, to, the, to the stuffed animal's head. It's the blankie from earlier. Oh, okay. And they tell Dewey to come over or his stuffed animal is going to get it. Then Dewey walks out of the room and Malcolm and Reese are confused as to what he's doing and they're waiting for him to come back. Then when he does come back, he looks up at them, smiles, and locks the door. And the boys realize they've been locked out of the house. And the episode ends with them defeated, walking over towards the swing set. <laughs> which is where the cesspool from earlier is, and Reese steps into their own trap, falling into the cesspool. What even is this stuff? <laughs> which Malcolm turns to camera and says, Well, at least today wasn't a complete waste. <laughs> and uh, that's how the episode ends. Yep, sure is. Well, let's go to the awards. Yeah, let's do that. Do I have to give an award? Award makes it sound like a good thing. Uh, Should we call it merits and demerits? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe, Jake. Uh, Okay, well, let's start with the obvious one. What was the A plot of your heart, David? Uh, The H plot. Yeah, the A plot. Yeah. The H plot. The A plot, yeah. I hate you so much. The Alamos A plot. Yes. Uh, which does have some, like, Hal being a shitty, the, the men are only interested in violence and sex thing going for it, but it's not nearly as egregious. It, it feels like they're aware of, like, the problems with that. I feel like may, maybe it's this is pointing out a flaw with the show and that it sort of relies on Lois to sort of be the only source of pointing out when these things are shitty because i think that's a big part of why this plotline doesn't feel nearly as egregious because we have lois there to be the voice directly pointing out that this thing is shitty but also kind of play into it a a little bit at the end yeah but also like to some extent i mean that's okay in that setting i mean that's husband and wife look reality is we're human beings, and no matter how evolved and, and great and good a person you think you are, you are gonna have times where you fuck up, or you have some sort of urge or inkling or anger or issue that you cannot move past. 
And sometimes, especially in a committed relationship like this, sometimes that is the answer. Sometimes that is the option that you get given. Look, you either give up on this stupid shit that you're doing, or you're either not going to get any, or you can come with me and get laid right now in place of doing that stupid thing. That's just the facts of life sometimes. It doesn't make excuses for or excuse the dumb shitty thing you were gonna do. <laughs> yeah, and I say it's a fly. I don't necessarily mean like with this episode itself. More with, it's the issue of as the only woman in the show, Lois is tasked with being the one who has to constantly be putting all of these men like in their place. Like all, all of the burden of keeping them from being absolute monsters is placed on her. It's kind of an idea you see a lot in TV, which is the, the female character has to be the moral compass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, e- even with like those minor problems, I actually mostly enjoyed the A plot. It didn't significantly detract from it the way the, the rest of the stuff with the other plot line did. Like I, it was still enjoyable. I, I enjoyed how's like, very slapsticky fights. Yeah. I have a new theory for the Malcolm in the Middle Breaking Bad crossover. Oh, no. So he, here, here's my new theory. Oh, Lord. So this isn't before or after. This is a parallel universe version of Walter White and how. Uh-huh. With the key defining difference being... Uh-huh. Having Lois there to, you know, keep him in check. Uh-huh. And my reasoning is that his rivalry with this guy is almost exactly a plot line from Breaking Bad. Kind of, yeah. There's that uh, guy that he used to be friends with that he's sort of bitter towards for, like, taking the company they started together and, like... Uh, he left it, and the other guy did it, and now he's rich, and Walt isn't, uh-huh. and, and all of that resentment and rivalry going. Yeah, the dude who wants to pay for his cancer treatment. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very similar rivalry going. Sure. But this version of the same person. Uh-huh. Has someone there to tell him he's a dumbass and he said stop, which is what Walter White really needed. We knew fair Walter White had that, he just didn't listen. Uh... Also, he lies better. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's another big difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I guess once she pieced it together, uh, what was her name? Skylar? Is yeah, that the wife? Skylar. Yeah, yeah I, I guess she did call him on his bullshit once she found out. Yeah, but that's the thing. She was the oblivious suburban housewife. Yeah. He needed a, a less oblivious suburban housewife. Right. Who's willing to hit him with her shoe. Yeah. Look, not everyone can be as tough as Lois. But uh, that That's the difference between uh, Hal and Heisenberg in my head now. I'm not sure if I'm okay with this, but okay. What did you have for your Roller Skating King Award? Your best visual moment. What I have simply dubbed the parent trap montage. The complete montage of setting up the traps and then removing them. Specifically, it got that because of the scene with Frankie Muniz actually getting down and like pushing the snakes to get them to like spread out and and go. And then of course the gummy worms because that was just a nice little bit of nostalgia for me. And the uh, firecracker in the candle because I thought that was genius. Fair enough. It's a solid choice. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, I, I do want to say, I feel like you've mixed up two movies of the same era. So you called this the Parent Trap Montage? Uh-huh. The, the, the movie in which they lock their uh, divorced parents 
into a room. I believe that you're thinking more of a home alone montage. No. There's no, like, traps in Parent Trap. <laughs> they just lock a door. <laughs> but first of all, I was thinking of the more modern version of it, not that. And, uh, no, I know there's no actual traps, but they, like, sneak out and switch places, and, like, it's just a bunch of shenanigans, and then they have to go and undo it before getting caught by their parents. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. It was the montage break, oh no, and the realization, and then going back into the montage of then undoing all the crappy things they did. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess. Where they start to realize that they actually like the other, like the new step-parent, and then they go and undo mm. all the things that they did. I guess I can follow the logic of that. Yeah, that's 100%. A, see, I also thought that because I immediately was like, these are Home Alone traps. So I when didn't... you call it Parent Trap, I was like, did he confuse Home Alone and Parent Trap? No. Because Parent Trap contains the word trap? No! <laughs> I, it had nothing to do with the traps. Just happened to have the word. Gotcha. It's a stretch, but I can follow. How is it a stretch? It's the exact same thing, just No, it's not. It's completely different. It's condensed. It's, we're going to do a bunch of shitty stuff, montage, and then, oh, we don't want that to happen anymore. Cut to montage of undoing all the shitty stuff. Well, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, 100%. Maybe. But yeah, so that that was my roller skating king award was that montage i really liked it okay what did you have i had specifically the beginning of the last fight for hal where everyone except for hal is sitting at the table uh, and then just from off screen we see them come into frame with one of them like piggyback style on their back trying to choke them out ineffectively it's a good choice. It looks amazing. I love it. Yeah. It was a great, like, very slapsticky fight. Yes, it was. Uh, even down to Lois breaking it up with a hose for a second there. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I get that. that. That's a good choice. Uh, and what did you have for your hot dog with mustard on it award? Your award for the best lot. So this one just cracks me up because this reminds me of being a teenage boy a little bit but not in a shitty way like this whole episode did and it is uh see what happens we told her we didn't want a babysitter and now someone innocent has to suffer fair enough it's a good line it's a good line and i i really appreciate that and i also i understand it uh i like that it's one of again it's one of those rare moments of clarity where malcolm is being shitty and acknowledging the fact that he's a shithead at the same time like he cannot accept accountability for his shittiness it's not his mom's fault it's your fault you're a piece of shit but it's just it's really funny and again if that tone had been the tone for the episode and we just are doing battle with the babysitter this could have been a great episode yeah my hot dog with mustard on it comes from an unlikely source oh no of Tom. I like it. <laughs> when he's like talking up like how much he wishes he could be like Hal and uh, his wife says, but you can't because you're a coward. Tom just like very matter of factly says, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I love that line because she is just trying to hammer him and bust his balls and just shit talk him. And he is taking all the power out of it by going, yeah, you're right. I I do kind of love this couple. (laughs) It's pretty great. I I kind of wish we got more of them in the series. 
There's that they're, they're weird, dysfunctional, horrible marriage. Yes, it, it's perfect, and I I also love like this guy's super self aware, and he's okay with it. I love it. Just the, you're a piece of shit. Yes. Yes, I am. I imagine that's a conversation they've also had. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like they've had this, like, conversation about him being a coward a lot. Probably, yeah. Yeah. I feel like every time she gets drunk. Yeah. What did you have for the OK Boomer Award? David, your award that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. Ah, yes. It is the Meet Carmen Electra sign and the line in front of it. Yep. Because, uh, again, this is 2000, so this is right after Scary Movie. This is, uh, you have Carmen Electra on late night shows, doing a lot of interviews. This is about seven years after her music career, um, or her music debut. I don't know if the career ended. I don't remember it lasting very long. David, I just learned she had a music career. <laughs> yes, uh, she produced a self-titled album in... 93 okay i don't know if she did anything after that but then that kind of led to her starting to get popular and then she started to get roles and then ended up in scary movie and then kind of continued to do stuff like that from there i mean there's obviously stuff in between there i don't know her whole like work or anything literally like three months before this aired is when she was like doing the talk show circuit so she was very much so relevant at this time and yeah this is the era i associate her with yeah and she was doing conventions and things like that so again very much so a, a okay boomer qualifying thing yeah but I just, again, associating this episode with everything that is Scary Movie and that whole franchise and what it became and what it spawned. Uh. Yeah, and I mean, more generally, so the, the, the type of celebrity that, like, Carbon Electro was, which, and, and retrospect, like, it is very based in sexism, like... Uh-huh. The, the the two things, like, if she was in something, either one, it was, like, as the, like, sort of generic sex symbol thing, which isn't as specific. But there was also a lot of, like, using those types of celebrities as the butt of a joke. Uh-huh. Which I feel like was her other, like, big role. Those are the two things I think of her as doing. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, that was my first choice for OK Boomer as well, but I do have a very small backup, uh, which is the... Old school toaster Dewey is fucking with at the beginning. Fair. <laughs> that, like, you can see the red glow from, like, across the room when it's on. <laughs> yeah, we had one of those. Yep, so did I. <laughs> uh, moving on to our next award, who did you have for favorite character? Uh, Lois, hands down. Yep, same. Yeah, uh, she's the moral compass. She's great. I love her interaction with Hal. I love that sort of honest moment i love that she's ticked off with hal but she also understands like look i get it you feel like you need control of something let's let's go channel that into a, a healthier way that's not going to land you in prison moron and just the general she knows who her family is she's aware of it she may not be happy about it but she knows who they are she knows what they are she loves them and she's gonna take care of them yeah i love the character of lois 
and sometimes she's portrayed as the blowhard psychopath, but I feel like anyone who's capable of dealing with these monsters has to be. Oh yeah, I, I have I have nothing but sympathy for Lois. Yes. She's the only normal person in this family. Uh, <laughs> normal might be a stretch, but I see your point. Lois is great. <laughs> Look, she seems like a person with good morals and values Mostly, dropped yeah. into a pit of shit. Yes. True. <laughs> okay. I feel like the reason she likes Tom and Barb are the same reasons that I do. <laughs> like, uh, based on her conversation in the car where she's like, I hope they're there. They're fun. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like she also gets amusement from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like she she gets a kick out of their back and forth. Yeah. Also, her just trite, honest comments to Barb. Yeah, yeah. Like when Barb does like has like that super shitty line about the male stripper. She's like, I'm just gonna get my kids a T-shirt. But right. <laughs> and I also just do like anytime you get to see Lois interacting with people outside of the family. I feel like she has interesting dynamics. Yes. I think that just leaves her. Uh huh. Our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Uh huh. This is another one where I'm going to emphasize it's not the best kid. It's the least shitty. Uh-huh. Uh, which one do you want to start with, David? Let's start with shittiest. Okay. Because I think there's less contention in this episode for that. Potentially, yeah. So, do you want to go first? Sure. I normally do, so yeah. go ahead. Yeah, uh, I had Malcolm as shittiest kid. Okay. Actually, I can see that. Uh, I considered him. Uh, he was almost, especially after the cold open. He was up there. So, the, the, the big one that tips the scales for me over because the, the other one i was strongly considering was francis okay but the, the the big thing that tips it in malcolm's we'll say favor uh <laughs> is that he called the other krell boys over to mutually stare at patty and like objectify it's like an extra level of creepy that i don't think anyone else crosses with the exception of maybe reese who has the appropriate falling into the cesspool at the end to uh sort of slightly outweigh that and the issue of you know reese is always shitty and the whole grading on a curve thing no i get that okay so i chose francis and the reason i chose francis over malcolm is because francis is older he should know better he should have learned better and also, you have blatant sexism and objectification mixed with fat shaming and body shaming. So I feel like he's committed more sins. I won't say that his sins are necessarily as egregious in this particular episode. But when you look at Francis as a person, you know they absolutely would be if he was in that setting. As well as just the things that he says are absolutely shitty. And again, that line... It's sad when you know they're your, you're their only hope for happiness. Fuck you, you conceited prick. Yeah, and oftentimes I find Francis's like blatant arrogance charming. It is not. It, in this. Not in this episode. Yeah. No. Yeah. So no, I, I I can understand picking Malcolm, and Malcolm was front runner for a while, is how I'll say it. But Reese over, or not Reese, uh, Francis overtook him with his just shittiness and the fact that he should have known better. I have no issue with someone else uh, choosing Francis over Malcolm here. They're, they're both exceptionally shitty. Yes. <sighs> and for least shitty kid, I had Dewey. Okay, I, 
I figured that was going to be what you'd have. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead and state your opening arguments. Yeah, so, so I, I've already said the, the main thing, sort of the mental gymnastics of trying to... And, and part of it's just like, I love Dewey and I don't want him to be this creep. Uh-huh. But it, it's also like from just like a logical standpoint, it doesn't make sense as young as Dewey is for him to be like this sexually charged as the episode potentially presents him as. My theory is that he's not so much doing these things even out of like the sort of like pubescent biological urges like Malcolm and Reese are. I I think it's probably mostly just based on him like recreating the behavior he's seen other boys doing, which is only partially like his it's like a nature versus nurture thing. I feel like a large part of what he's doing is just recreating the shitty things he's seen his older brothers do. Uh, but because he, in his mind, that's how you treat women because that's how he's seen them do things. I can see how you choose Dewey here, I guess. And I'm glad to see that my <laughs> train of thought is finally starting to rub off on you. And you're starting to realize that Dewey is a perfect angel. However... Uh, they do literally call him an angel in this episode. Right? <laughs> However, I did not go with Dewey. And I don't think that Dewey is... Here's my counter-arguments. I've known some six-year-olds that absolutely had that prepubescent and early puberty stuff going on. I also have seen six and seven year olds looking at porn willingly and willfully uh it's creepy it's weird i've had experiences with it not only myself growing up of uh, some of my friends who were you know a little younger than me and also just since then with younger kids who were not again going back to the nature versus nurture weren't really raised appropriately so i mean maybe like it's definitely possible uh we could get into the science of it, but I'm going to leave that aside. It's physiologically definitely possible. Yeah. But moving that aside. It's possible, but unlikely. Regardless of any of that, I agree that the character of Dewey should not be aware of what he's doing. However, the filming of, the portrayal of, takes that illusion completely away. And without doing blatant... <sighs> mental gymnastics to keep the image of who Dewey is alive, it, it doesn't fit here. The real answer, Jacob, is this isn't Dewey. He's actually been abducted, and this is an alien shape changer. Ah, I, I can tell you read a lot of Marvel comics growing up, <laughs> because I've specifically seen the, oh shit, this character was really horrible and misogynistic. Uh, they were a scroll the whole time. I, Argument many times in Marvel. But yeah, no, so that that dumb joke that took me way too long to set up aside, uh, Dewey's a scroll. Uh, this isn't actually Dewey. Uh, he's still a perfect angel. But in this episode, you're wrong. It's not Dewey. Okay. Because Dewey's a scroll. And I'll tell you who it is. It is Reese. Okay. Okay? Now, remember we're grading on a curve. Yeah. As the theme song tells us we can. That, that's true. Yeah, listen to that full uh, full-length version. Yeah. But... Reese falls into a pit of his own and everyone else's shit, which is the only comeuppance that is served in this episode. True. So Reese gets it, 
for being the most shitty, literally, <laughs> which makes him the least shitty, figuratively. Okay, I, I can reluctantly accept this <laughs> argument just because... Fuck. <laughs> this episode is awful. Like, I, I think we should just strike this episode from the canon. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this this was like a fan-made episode that went really bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Uh, okay. Well, on that note... <laughs> If you want to get in touch with us, uh, maybe let us know if you have a different opinion on this episode somehow, or if we missed anything, uh, then you can get in touch with us either on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast, or by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also vote in our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls on Twitter. And if you enjoy the back and forth and want to come uh, hang out with us live, watch us play video games, you can head over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream and play video games and do a bunch of cool, fun stuff. Generally, every Wednesday we do playthroughs, and on Mondays we play games with viewers and things like that. And on November 7th, we have a 24-hour live stream coming up for the Extra Life charity, uh... All the money from which goes to the Children's Miracle Network. That's also just a ton of fun. Uh, even if you can't donate, you can just join us as we uh, do one of the most fun things we do every year, which this year is going to include the not fun thing of me trying to eat 100 peeps. Exactly. Thanks to this podcast, Jake will be cramming 100 peeps in his mouth yep. in a very Francis-esque way, and uh, it'll be great for us, not so much for him. Yes. Um, yeah, we do all kinds of stuff like this. We do punishments, fun stuff. It's not just video game stuff, especially for Extra Life. Um, the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals helps out a lot of people uh, my family is still currently having to take some of my nieces and nephews there frequently for testing and all kinds of things it, it's easy to say that some of my nieces and nephews would not still be here if it were not for the hospital that these proceeds go to so we definitely we have a personal stake in this but we want to make it entertaining and fun as well so help us with this great cause help us entertain you and help us just have some fun while also doing great things thanks for listening and remember life is unfair